So I crazy. bought a TV. Did you go get one? It was six hundred dollars for a forty-two-inch flat panel HD TV. Oh, I thought you said TV. I'm like, yeah, so did I. Large television. Mm-hmm. And it's in my uh, I was thinking, why is she buying $6,000 worth of toilet paper? But, oh, my God. Okay. I don't think so. No, I was um, thinking the dwelling. <laughs> no, not that either. <laughs> wanted to set one up in her backyard. <laughs> so, how was your day? I didn't what did you do? Me? I just had a flat tire this morning. I ignored it. And drove in the snow? Car. Now, the snow's not supposed to be till tonight. Oh. Yes, apparently we might be getting to be some today. tomorrow. But it might just be rain. We don't know for sure. We had some thunderstorms pop up all around us. <laughs> yes, Scarlet, <laughs> snow does exist. We had windstorms today that blew, 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 and then the sun came out and it was beautiful, and then the winds came in and it poured down rain and, you know, typical spring. But we're supposed <laughs> to get a cold front in tonight, any time now, and it's supposed to snow down to a thousand feet. Yeah, we had, I looked outside, yeah. it was like, Wow, really bright blue skies and big, big, huge, puffy clouds off in the distance. And I dialed up the radar on the phone and they weren't huge, puffy clouds. They were giant supercells like a hundred miles away. It oh, was, dear. uh, we've, so we've had severe weather east of us. And then there was one that passed just to the north and we were actually under severe thunderstorm warning. Not now. Yeah. It's really nice now. It's. 70 degrees and oh hello 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 i can hear you hello okay why are you saying hello because she was talking before and nobody could hear oh (laughs) she was writing in the chat you're good at that (laughs) (laughs) somebody has to at least do i sound like i'm in a box a little bit can you hear me now yeah you sound like a little bit of a robot you know, like a robot. Too. Well, you can tell okay. that sound. How's your nose? Congratulations on the marathon, by the way, you two. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. It made it worse because I got rained on the whole entire time. Oh. <laughs> but I did. I mean, so when you I had a drippy nose, nose and you were getting dripped on? Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. I was blowing my nose for 5.9 miles. Yuck. Oh, oh, I did really well. I was, I was fun. I enjoyed it. And so were I you and a lot of money for Heather running next to each other or just happened to both be doing the marathon? Um, we were, She did the half marathon for walking and I did a relay of five people to do the full marathon. And so you I didn't did run 26.1 miles? Correct. I did 5.9 so, so, miles. Okay. I see. And she did 13.1, but she walked it. She did a half marathon. Wow. But we were both working for the same charity. Stop licking so. me. Hi, Lily. I really want to do a marathon, but I don't think my body's up for it anymore. The whole thought of just running. You know what? (laughs) Just kills me. (laughs) Yeah, I just thought it was a wig out, too. Yeah, Scarlett yes. Shutter. Uh, I loved it. It was so great. I mean, I've never yeah. had experience like this. Hey, People were just out it. screaming, congratulating you. Kids wanted to slap your hands. It was awesome. It was and cool. I mean, people it's were cooking, so even fun. though it was downpouring. It was so much fun. I went through a not so great part of Pittsburgh. And you know what? I never had so much fun mm-hmm. in my life. I, it just spurred me on. And I mean, I never ran. So, well, I mean, that was the longest distance I've pe- run. Pe- was people fun. complain about the areas of town, but when you're with 5,000 other people and you're running on the streets, they're not going to sit on the side of the road and shoot people as they run by. Yeah. You know, we had over, <laughs> you hope. <laughs> I'm kidding. We, were, we had over 16,000 runners. Wow. Well, yeah. There doing you go. the marathon. 
and I mean, it was it was huge. I mean, we had people from all over the world. We had a Kenyan. Uh, he wanted he did the full marathon in like two hours and fifteen minutes. And I saw him go past my relay station, and it was just like. Phew. And I was with my buddy, and I was just like, I go, he was the first one, huh? He's like, yeah. I go, I don't think I could even run the 5.9 miles I'm doing that fast because <laughs> I don't think any of us could. Wow. I mean, it was just truly amazing. People were out there banging pots, ringing bells. There was signs, and there was this one sign that just made me laugh. It was around the 20-mile marker. That was like the end of my fourth mile. And it says, your feet might be hurting, and the other guy beside her was going, but that means you're kicking butt. <laughs> it was so cute. I mean, it was just different things, and I tried goo for the first time. Note to self, don't try goo without water. And I didn't have, it's like a, mm. goo is kind of like a paste and it's supposed to, it's like highly it's a, concentrated it's energy. Okay. Like an uh, energy. I know what, um, yeah. Well, I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, I've heard of this. It's supposed to be really good. And it's like vanilla bean. I'm like, I like vanilla bean. So I rip it off. I take, luckily, I only took one little squirt of it. It, it was like peanut butter. I was like, it's like, oh my God. And I'm like a half mile to the next water station. I'm like, I need water. <laughs> and I'm Cat like, milk. I'm running even faster just to get to the darn water station. And I'm running and they're like, catering, catering. I'm like, no, I don't want catering with this stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh, so nasty. I'm like, water. I'm screaming at them. I'm like, I need water. And I get the water and I'm <laughs> swishing out my mouth and I'm spitting it out. I'm like, oh, that's disgusting. And I was telling my friend about it. He's like, oh, you should have got the berry one. I'm like, I just grabbed whatever they handed me, man. Yeah. It was fun. Well, that's cool. yeah, it was great. I I never experienced anything like that. I mean, everybody was just screaming for you. It was fun. Very cool. And there yeah. was and I did. Yeah, I know. I saw him. We always lose in Scott, aren't we? Well, we hadn't for yep, a while, here. but it's because we have an extra person on here. I think. I know. I never had. Thank you. May you be talkative. I think you're allowed. Sure. Go for it, Scarlett. She had a theater show called The Pajama Game last week. And she had a puffer moment in rehearsal because the wings are dark and there's a platform with a wall on it. It has a brace anchoring the whole thing. And she tripped on the brace, I think it was, mm -hmm. and smacked into part of it with her hand and got scraped, which was too bad. But the show was fun. So, yep. okay. And she's okay. So that's good. Yep. Shall we, shall we talk in... about falling down on stage, okay. adventures in theater? I was doing Adventures a musical when I was in high school, and we were changing between songs. And the stage had an, a raised platform on it that had steps that went down the back, and the back of it was fire brick. Ooh, ow. And okay. the... Uh, that wasn't you, Scott. Who'd we lose then? Uh, Trisha. Trisha. I'm like, how come I can't find a tad Scott? <laughs> <laughs> so... Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Um... They turn the lights off, but they have glow lights on the edges of the steps so that, you know, you know where the steps are. Mm -hmm. I tripped. Wow. You're wearing character shoes. I tripped and uh, mm -hmm. hit the back wall, which was fire brick oh, with my man. head. Oh, big time out. Yeah. Luckily I, didn't have, luckily, I didn't have to be in the next piece because I sat in the back with an ice bag on my face because mm -hmm. I hit 
my temple and the top of my head on the wall. Hey. Yes. Yeah, that was fun. Don't I have me, never yeah. actually been injured in any of my turns as an actor or a techie, so... Oh, that's good. Knock on wood, break your leg, whatever. I uh, wasn't injured, but I used to dance, and I remember I had this quick change where I had about three minutes. Uh, we didn't have tutus until you go on point, so you have, like, these dance skirts. I had three minutes to change outfits, so, you know, I get my leotard on, and I get my skirt on, and I tie it in the back, and I go on stage, and about a minute into our dance, I feel my skirt slipping down, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is bad, and my skirt goes all the way off, I finish the dance, and I pick it up and go off stage, but I was completely red in the face, because I'm like 14, and it was just an embarrassing moment for me. Mm-hmm. We had a girl during Guys and Dolls. I think it was Guys and Dolls. And she was supposed to sing organic and sang orgasmic and refused to come oh. back out. <laughs> and oh refused dear. to what? Come back out. She was so embarrassed. Uh. Mm-hmm. So. That's like the conversation I was having about tentacles and said testicles, testicles in a yeah. very large group of people. That was Yeah, fun. that's yeah. all right. I called everybody my teacher else, peanuts. Everybody else laughed. And I was like, what are you all laughing at? And they're like, you said testicles. I was like, oh. Yeah, okay. Well, you can use those, too. And they're like, oh, no. We were talking about calamari. Fried tentacles. And then mm, I said, okay, I yeah, we can talk calamari. about that, too. Not buffalo oysters, thanks. I'll pass. <laughs> My uncle tried to trick me into eating one of those when I was out in Colorado with them. And... I mean, I was willing to try them, but my mother was like, oh, well, don't. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder what they taste like. Uh, I don't know. They're chewy. Well, I know that much. They're deep fried. <laughs> they're chewy. I like deep fried things. <laughs> yeah, well, as long as you don't think about what you're eating, you're fine. They're probably really good. It's like liver. I mean, most people can't stand I think liver. they call them, I want to say they call them calf fries, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, do we have everybody? I think we have everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, that was a home run. So much for that. I'm hearing odd syllables from everybody, and I don't actually know what words they make up. Oh, Everything immediately cleared up, so I guess that did it. Yeah, it's the one extra person. It just isn't a good thing. But Sad. it's okay, Scarlett. We like that you're here. Mm-hmm. You're enthusiastic about the material, so hey. Yeah, and we've got him, and Kelly wasn't ready, so that works out. I probably oh, need no, to explain better. I will be making <clears throat> unexplainable noises throughout this podcast. I am the ultimate Fred fangirl. Yeah, I've had a crush on him for a very long time. I cried over his death for about three years, and this pic is the first time that I've actually been able to talk about it without like completely choking up and starting to sob. So well, I'm glad we could bring this. To There's you. no crying in podcasting, you know. <laughs> oh, they'll probably be crying. Well, I, was- I-, I flipped out when I saw this thing. Are you crying? Are you crying? <laughs> There's no crying in baseball! <laughs> <laughs> uh, gotta have the baseball, even if Kelly isn't here. I love baseball, too, so it's all good. It all works out.
In this episode, we feature typically Pufuanian on-topic discussion. Not only entertaining, but educational as well. <laughs> I can touch my toes to the faucet. I can turn on the sink with my feet. It's like the Manhattan Project. Don't take offense to this, guys. You guys are the most dysfunctional people. No, they're not! <laughs> we'll always laugh before the end. Father, think we please where the story never ends. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Potterfic Weekly. This is episode 119. I'm Sue. I'm Scott. I'm Trisha. I'm Kat. And we currently have Scarlet tied up in the corner with duct tape. Yay. Woo. Yeah. Hi, Greater Popla. I'm Scarlet from the not-so-distant past, coming to you very not live through the magic of post-recording. I'll be popping in and out the whole way through. My computer was being really funky, so I couldn't record. Never mind. Just listen. I could just picture that. <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> you ever seen the kid let the duct tape to the wall? I picture Scarlet as that. What is this? Pick on the lone newbie Ravenclaw day? Oh, wait. You can't hear me. <sighs> Carry on. And the or reason you. that we have Scarlet duct tape in the corner is she picked out this fic. This is Fox Ears by the Star Horse, who apparently does not write Harry Potter fiction very often, but this one begged to be written. So she did it, and it's an awesome story, so I'm really glad that she did Yeah, and we're very glad that she wrote it and Scarlet recommended it. And if you look on DeviantArt, she has awesome fan art of the Weasleys. And Let and I have been swooning over Weasleys all weekend. Apparently she's a Weasley girl, so she just decided to do Harry Potter stuff for the Weasleys, and she does it very well. No, Trisha, but they are shirtless in an awful lot of them. Oh, yeah, they are. (laughs) (laughs) And we will have a link to the artwork up, because it really is wonderful. Yes. On a off-topic tangent that's quite brief, for most of you, the end of last season would be some time ago, but for us, it was just this last week. And I have to bring up the fact that I am currently having milk and chocolate cake. That <laughs> <laughs> is great. And let us eat chocolate I don't cake. Get that I think it's even more milk that. by now because it's been sitting here for a while, but yeah. not really the same as they were talking about. No. Do you want to explain the cake? No, it's okay. I'll understand it by the time the podcast comes out. out. (laughs) And as of right now, when I'm editing this, I still have no clue what he's talking about. Should I be worried? Yeah, it does kind of lose its point, doesn't it? So I'll just tell you now. The chocolate cake and warm milk thing was a Weasley tradition that we liked that came up in Chapter 45 of Rebuilding Life, which was technically supposed to be covered in Episode 112, but instead got sort of covered briefly in Episode 113. I'm sure we mentioned this at least once or twice while we were recording, but it may well have been edited out or covered over by some other bit of the podcast. At least if you've read the fic, you may have some idea what I'm talking about. I've listened to 101. No, I haven't even listened to the Master Fic 100 yet. Now I'm going to cry. Mm. Oh. I have these it's things fine. called it's finals. fine. I'm just giving you a bad time. <laughs> yes, life does happen. Yeah. And that is what we discover in the beginning of this fic, is that life does happen. Fred, as we know nice from segue. canon, hasn't... Thank you. <laughs> Fred hasn't survived the war, and this picks up right at the end of it. 
Yes, I know. We have lots of sobbing now going on. And Scarlet yelling at me, I'm sure, because... <laughs> Don't say that. He was defretted. Yes. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that. This is a Charlie point of view story, which is kind of fun. You don't see many stories from Charlie. Yeah, Charlie. A towel-wearing, black belt-owning pack mule superhero. <laughs> That's what he's doing here, although I think he did get to wear clothes for this. Hold on, I need a towel. I just slobbered. Yeah, I could tell. On myself there. As long as it's not Charlie's towel, you're okay. And it starts out right in the middle of the action. He is chasing George through the night for no particular reason that we know of. Apparently, George appeared above his bed and woke him up, and he got up and came after him. And then we have a flashback for approximately the first third of the story that tells us how everything has been going since the final battle until that point. I'll geek out and be a Ravenclaw and say that starting in the middle like that is called starting in medias ray. That's what Greek poets like Homer did with many of the epic poems like the Iliad and the Odyssey. It starts you smack dab in the middle, and then you have to figure out what's going on. Ooh, that makes me think of Fred and George in an epic Greek poem. Let's not go there. That would be far too much chaos and far off topic. We've got Charlie following George in this mad adventure, and he's not quite sure where they're going, but he's going to follow him. I love the visualization and the wording of this because the way she shows that, like, Charlie's having difficult because of the wet grass, and you can just picture it in your head. Like, they're running up to the orchard of the burrow, and yeah. Mm-hmm. He's slipping. Mm-hmm. He, he actually falls at one point and scrambles back up. Yeah. Basically, what's happened is George stayed with Fred at the battle scene, and then when the whole family came home, he refused to talk. He didn't talk to anybody. He didn't say Fred's name. And people started coming around and trying to grieve with him, and they wanted to touch him. And Molly kind of interchanged between calling him Fred and calling him George. Fred, you next. He's not Fred, I am. Honestly, woman, you call yourself our mother. Oh, I'm sorry, George. And he lasted as long as he possibly could in their presence, and then he just would, you know... Worked out. The word was he eeled away. So every time they tried to put their arms around him and stuff, he'd kind of shrug them off and he'd sort of slither out of their arms and he'd go to another room. I can only imagine like losing half of yourself. The person that's always been there, your best friend, dies right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And everyone's trying to grieve over it and everyone's trying to find comfort. And of course they're going to go to you because you look like that person. Right. But you're trying to cope, too, you know, in a, in a way very different to everybody else. Mm-hmm. But Charlie's sort of noticed that there's something about him. and He can't put his finger on it yet. Mm-hmm. But he's Everybody's waiting. just worried that George is sort of shut down and they figure he's in shock or something. But Charlie thinks there's a little bit more to it than that. Mm-hmm. Everybody agrees differently. I think in so many ways, Charlie's background in animals and observing, he's more of an observer than he is anything else. So he's able to pick up things better than the average person because he does have to, sorry to say this, but he has to observe animals so much and mm-hmm. see their behaviors and see their patterns and stuff. That's true. Mm-hmm. Charlie's the only other one who can't bring himself to actually say that Fred is dead. He can't even bring himself to think it a couple of times in the beginning of this story. So he wonders a little bit if that's part of the connection with George that he's having. 
I really liked that narrative choice, to have George not say Fred's name, and to go so silent. It was really eerie, because the twins and George, they're just so loud and vibrant and out there, that to have George go so quiet is eerie. I don't really agree with that. I spend a lot of time reading the canon, looking at the twins, because I love them so much. I really think Fred is the loud one. I, I kind of compare him to Puck from A Midsummer Night's Dream. He's just kind of like, I'm going to mess things up over here and just see what happens. And, you know, I'm going to give the first years some trick candy and see what Hermione does. And George is the more grounded one. He's kind of the one who makes sure Fred doesn't do anything too nuts. Mm-hmm. He was the straight man. He is the straight man. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can see that to a certain extent, but neither one of them is really a classic straight man because they're always bouncing off of each other. No, that's true. Well, I they, mean, they both tell George the jokes. Is loud. I'm just... Fred does more often. Perhaps, they do. But, yeah. Okay, if you say it that way, then yeah, I, I get what you mean. Honestly, both of the twins are just so out there that when they are actually buckling down serious... Or when George is so quiet like this, it's just eerie and odd, wrong, and just want to go and hug George because I feel so bad for him. Mm-hmm. And because it's all narrated through Charlie's thoughts, there's a lot of metaphor and there's a lot of... He's being very introspective about a lot of these things. And there's a section where he says when he first came upon Fred lying there and George sitting next to him at the battle... It was such a shock for him, and it seemed it seemed worse because it was them, and it was like they'd both died at the same time, because George had completely shut down, and one of the phrasings is, it seems like it's actually life that's stopped, and somebody's reached up and turned off the sun because of this. There's a lot of very powerful metaphor in that. Mm-hmm. The sight of George sitting there so calmly on that day, one hand on Fred's hair, while the whole world danced around him. This quote sort of reminds me of Harry not wanting to be around everyone after the battle because of all the loss that he went through. Yeah, that makes sense. I I loved the scene where Harry tries to talk to George, Mm -hmm. and George kind of just sits there, and eventually Charlie is just kind of like, just leave him alone. And he actually... Yeah, Mm -hmm. and everyone's pushing George, and Charlie finally snaps and yells at everybody because everyone's trying to use George to feel better about Fred's death. And they're being very, very selfish about that and not understanding. Yeah, well, he's calling calling Harry out of what he is. I mean, Harry does... Harry blames himself for everything, and he's calling him out on it. And yes, it isn't Harry's fault, and he's just being very blunt, but the thing is, that's what he needs to be. Sometimes, especially with Harry getting through that damn thick head, you need the jackhammer, or sledgehammer, sorry. The comment that I made was, Bill said, Harry, just say the universe, why are you yelling at him? And I was like, well, just because Harry saved the universe doesn't mean he automatically gets a free ride for the next decade. He still has to be, you know, a person. Mm -hmm. And this is the turning point for Charlie. Charlie's been paying attention and watching, but he hasn't... He knows that there's something in George, but he's not sure what it is. And he says, he supposed the day came when Harry tried talking to George. And that's when he put his finger on what it was that he could see in George. Harry has come to apologize and he sits down and and he's Harry, you know, 
this is all my fault. I'm really sorry. If I hadn't done what I'd done or brought the war there, he wouldn't have been alive still. And that's what Harry does. Harry takes on the guilt. That's how he's always been. And Charlie starts off by kind of being on Harry's side and says, just back off. It's not your fault, Harry. And Harry's like, yeah, yeah, it is. And then Charlie says, just leave him alone. You're here trying to find solace. You're here to get forgiveness. And that's not what you need to be doing. And then that just sets everybody off. They start arguing. Molly comes out and is upset with Charlie. And George just gets up and walks away. Okay, my thoughts on the Harry interlude. Just wow. I think it's a really kind of a new spin on Harry's guilt, and I certainly wasn't expecting it. I'm not sure that I agree with Charlie, but I'm definitely not disagreeing with him. It's just kind of hard to think out, because it's definitely true that Harry needs and wants to feel better. True that it's not Harry's fault. And true that George certainly doesn't need to say it. Because my conflict comes from typically having Harry as the main character. And this is just a way of seeing a more flawed Harry, or rather, how Harry's flaws are perceived by others. So, I thought it was really interesting. Okay, me out. And I can see some of their reactions, because they're trying to get George to talk about things, because they're worried that he still hasn't said anything, and that's not normal, and he should really be starting to heal somehow, because he has to go on. But that's not what George wants to do. And Charlie, his... He's been the one who hasn't been trying to do anything with George, and eventually, especially after that point, he starts warning the rest of them away and just leave George be, let him do whatever it is he's doing, because he's up to something. And even if we don't know what it is, it's good for George, so, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. He just makes sure that everybody kind of leaves him alone. And eventually, they all sort of... They think that Charlie must know what it is George is doing because he's the only one who manages to get it all close to him. But Charlie hasn't read all the things that George has been scribbling on pieces of parchment and dashing around and finding and all the stuff. So he doesn't have any idea either. He just thinks it's something that George needs to do. But everybody else is getting a little concerned about it. They're alluding to it, but they're not saying it. They're hoping that he's not going to be doing something to hurt himself. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're a little worried about that. And then one night, everybody's asleep except for Bill and Charlie. And Bill comes over and he says, okay, tell me what's going on. And Charlie says, I don't know. And Bill's like, no, you've been following him. You know what he's up to. You need to tell me. And Charlie doesn't know. They call him Char, which I don't like. I don't like that either. It's like calling Hermione, Miney. Hermione. Hermione. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a little odd because Charlie is already a nickname. But nobody ever calls him Charles, and he's not a Charles. It doesn't really fit for him. But there isn't really a nickname you can make out of Charlie either. So, I mean, I can see it a little bit. It's one of those things, it, it could well be, you know, what Ginny used to call him before she could pronounce all the letters or things like that, you know, because families will have their own little nicknames that come up that way. Yeah, it's a hard mm -hmm. one, but that's so. true. Yeah, well, I mean, my nickname, all my family calls me TR, of all things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Bill has sort of been, it said it a little bit earlier, that Bill's kind of having to be the rock for everyone because Molly and Arthur are devastated themselves and they're just sort of keeping on and everyone else is falling apart in various different ways and Bill is kind of forced by default to be there for everybody else. And so now he's trying to look out for George, but Charlie doesn't think that's what George needs at this point. 
Right. And Bill also has, he's torn between his family and Fleur and their life. And mm-hmm. when you get married, your devotions are kind of divided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bill's worried that whatever George is doing, it's going to be just a little off and he might hurt himself or he'll try something like what he ends up trying and it won't work and things will just get worse. And Charlie just wants to let him go because this is George and of anyone, George is the one who can come up with something to fix things. They're sort of, they have the idea in the back of their mind what George might try to do, that he ends up trying to do, and Bill just thinks it's nuts and it's impossible and can't possibly work. And Charlie kind of thinks it's nuts too, but he wants to let him try. Mm-hmm. Here's a quote I want to bring up. It's a bit of a major point for what Charlie's thinking as he's trying to figure out what's going on with George. The quote is, Ginny had said it many times. After growing up with the twins, she had learned one thing. It was that if you have enough nerve, anything is possible. It's a lovely weaving in of canon. I just thought it was really interesting to see that mindset be applied outside of the book it was originally brought up in. Mm-hmm. And Charlie kind of feels like George is still carrying that on. And if they let George go, then who knows what might happen. Mm-hmm. Charlie also points out to Bill that George was canatotic until now. So, you know, he's doing something that's good. That's a good sign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think Charlie doesn't care what it is as long as he's doing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at one point in this conversation, Bill brings up, because he's he sort of agreed to let Charlie alone a little bit, and he gets a bit nostalgic, and he mentions that Charlie taught the twins to tie their shoes on his porch. Right. And Charlie kind of doesn't want to think about it because that's the kind of thing you do when somebody's gone and he's not ready to really think of everything that way. But it comes up for him anyway. When the twins were little, they were five, and they just decided they want to know how to tie their shoes. And for some reason, they corner Charlie to teach them. And he doesn't know why. I suspect it's because they'd already started the short week thing but you never know <laughs> and they oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they pestered cajoled and otherwise mauled charlie until he agreed to help them pestered cajoling and otherwise mauling charlie i want to see that in a one shot he knew that if he didn't do it that they wouldn't leave him alone so he sat down mm-hmm. to do it and he called yeah. them bunny he's, ears yes, he's teaching him the bunny ears method instead of the round i'm the doing that around. right now and they want to know, why is it bunny ears? Why can't it be dog ears or fox ears or all sorts of different things that might be their ears? And he says, well, bunnies have long ears and foxes don't. And they're like, yes, but dogs have long ears and foxes are dogs. And they have this whole long conversation back and forth about how it's foxes are actually see. dogs. and. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was so in character for these, like, the twins have such this unique sense of logic that no one can follow until they reach the end. And then it's just like, oh, we totally see where you were going with this. Uh, I just love it. It makes me so happy. Okay, I've got a couple of things. First, foxes. Why do I have a mental image of traumatized foxes? Bark, yip, scratch, roll, get fleas. I can't imagine the twins knowing this from any other way but hands-on experience. (laughs) Also, they've got really impressive logic for five-year-olds. Are we sure there wasn't a Weasley in Ravenclaw? (laughs) Yes. It's pointed out in canon that the Weasley twins are extremely intelligent. They just don't care about, you know, what's being taught Mm -hmm. in their classes. Won't deny it. 
Just had to say it. There's a story I read just today, actually, where I think it's the Resurrection Stone they're using, and somebody's talking to Fred. And he mentions that the hat almost put him in Ravenclaw, but he didn't think it'd be enough of a challenge, so he went for Gryffindor. And I can actually see that being a reasoning. Was that Fidelis? Yep. That's Fidelis. <laughs> or however you say it, yeah. That was yeah. a really good story. So Charlie's thinking this over, and Bill and Charlie are sitting there being a little uncomfortable because they have different viewpoints on this thing, but they're interrupted because there's an apparition sound from somewhere, and they don't know where and what's happening. So Bill's ordered Charlie upstairs to check on the house, and he's going outside alone to check on the outside. And Charlie's a little worried about letting him go out alone, and he says, just go. It's fine. And he goes out, and Charlie kind of peeks into all the different rooms. And he already knows it was George's room that the apparition went from, but he checks everybody first, and then he goes downstairs, and it's okay. You would think they would have some kind of wards on the house not to be able to operate in and out of the house, but... Because the twins did pass their tests, they were um, operating all over the place. That's true. Mm-hmm. Mostly inside, but and apparently he could get out. It's entirely possible that they're keyed into the wards. A lot of fics have you be able to do that. So mm-hmm. that certain uh, kind people of like a DNA have. kind of thing. Yeah. Personally, I don't think the author thought that much into it. I mean, this isn't like a 20-chapter fic. It's kind of like a one-shot. So I think we can sure. let a couple things slide. Mm-hmm. Technically, it is a one-shot. Really, could have been two or three chapters with this length of one-shot, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's a long one My point is, it's not this huge setup universe. It's just yeah. kind of like, this is a story. There are a couple things that I don't think we need to nitpick mm-hmm. about. Yeah, it's true. My yeah. point is, is that it doesn't matter. Like, Scarlet was wondering at one point why they would say Bleeding St. Francis which isn't necessarily a wizarding term, but then wizards and muggles were together a lot longer than they were apart when you think about it, so there's no real reason why not. Right. Yep. It's probably just one of the author's expressions that she heard somewhere and put in. It works okay. But yes, they realize that George is gone, and everybody is panicked. Yeah, they... Well. I guess just Bill and Charlie, because they don't actually tell everyone Yeah, yet. Bill and Charlie go all over the place looking for him, because it's okay for him to be wandering around and doing whatever he wants at home, but not out at the world at large, because they don't know what he's going to do, basically. Mm-hmm. This is where they really are. Well, Bill particularly is worried he's going to do something to himself and mm-hmm. be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they have no idea where he'd go, because he hasn't been talking to anybody, so... He wouldn't necessarily go to Lee's or some of his other friends. And they decide they'll check the shop, they'll check Hogwarts, but they don't find him, and now they really don't know what to do. Right. So once the rest of the crew gets up, they let them know what's going on. And You know, I didn't like this characterization of Molly, because it's not their fault. George left. He just left. And yeah, Charlie was following him around and stuff like that, but Charlie is not his keeper. And I understand that she's upset and she's scared and everything, but I didn't think that she would really go off on him the way that she does. I can see it, but that's just because she's just lost a son a week ago. And the fear that she'll lose another in such short order, Mm -hmm. I think just kind of like she's more scared than blaming him. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is reminiscent of the -the over-the-top Molly you can find in some fics, and at this point, it works okay, because she is, she's very fragile at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a horrible time for her. Yeah, and it's the day before the funeral. 
Mm-hmm. You do. You feel for Charlie because there's no reason for them all to be yelling at him, and then they just start yelling all over the place, and they're bursting out at everybody. But it's what they bring up in the story is that they've all been sort of keeping everything in to some extent. I mean, there's been crying all over the place, but George has been there, and they've been sort of tiptoeing around George. They've been walking on eggshells with gone, him, and everything is coming out at once. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just the damn burst. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. Kelly has stuck her head in and wants to know why Charlie yelled at Harry as opposed to anyone else earlier in the story. Because everyone else was coming to tell George that they were sorry, and and they were, but he yells at Harry. Because it was the last one that needed to be sorry. Yeah, just the last straw sort of thing. (laughs) And because Harry was wallowing in guilt, and he likes to do that, and it gets annoying. But it's only Harry's bad luck that he's the seventh one to come and say something. (laughs) Yep. Ooh, yeah, the seventh one. Significant? <laughs> you never know. Oh, please. Oh, please. Uh. So they don't really know what to do. Some of them go looking for him. Some of them stay behind. Some of them are ordered to stay behind. And they're just pretty much sitting there because tomorrow is the funeral. All the preparations have been taken care of. And they just don't know what to do. So they pretty much are just sitting and waiting. And they're sitting there and just looking at each other. Yeah. And Charlie still feels that George knows what he's doing and something's going to happen. But he can't bring it up because Bill didn't believe him and he kind of figures that Bill was the likeliest to believe him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. no one else probably will. He's not even sure himself what George will do or whether it will work. And if he brings it up and everybody shoots it down, he feels like it might just vanish. So he's kind of keeping everything to himself. So, backing up just a little bit, Kelly has stuck her head in here again and said, oh, and regarding St. Francis, which is the line that threw Scarlet out, it would have been much funnier if he had said St. George, because St. George is the slayer of dragons. And it's George. <laughs> oh, well. Fighting dragons is everything around here. Cry God for Harry! England and St. George! So, yeah. I thought maybe Francis was a patron of lost people because they were wondering where George was at the time, but it seems Saint he was. St. Francis wasn't. is the patron saint of animals. Yeah. So. Maybe foxes. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Dragons. I don't think she was thinking that much into it. It was just something that fit. Anyhow. This, this day has gone on, and they haven't found George, and they don't know what to do. So finally, everybody just kind of drifts off to bed, and then we're back at what the happened at the beginning time. of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of like this. There's such mystery to what the twins do at Hogwarts in the Ken. Some authors cover it. Some other authors don't. I like that, you know, even though they're out of Hogwarts, there's still mystery to the twins. Mm-hmm. And I say twins just because... Fred isn't dead. Yes. We'll <laughs> I mean, you that. that part of canon. <laughs> yep. Here he is, chasing after George into the apple orchard. Once again, he's not saying anything. He's just following George quietly. And he sort of wonders if it might be a little bit of a test, because George doesn't say anything either, which he hasn't done for weeks. And then, finally, he just bursts out with... Okay, if you're going to mess everything up, if you say anything about what Fred would have wanted, I will hex you, because I know what Fred wants, and that's to live. And if you have anything weird to say about what I'm going to do, just say it and get it over with. Yeah, now's the time. 
Mm-hmm. And Charlie says, well, he doesn't have anything particular that he can think of, but he'll let George know if there's anything coming to mind. Yeah. And George says, good, because you're the only one who hasn't been prattling on at me all week, as though Fred were somehow in the past tense. And as it turns out, that's rather a good thing, because I need your help. And this statement should have been some cause for alarm, because, yeah, Fred was in the past tense, but... Charlie's decided already that he's going to do whatever George has in mind, and he simply Mm -hmm. says, okay. Well, I love this line just because, as far as we know, Charlie knows nothing about the Marauder's Map. But he says, I solemnly swear that I shall bugger nothing, nor prance, nor rat like a Nancy. I am with you, George. And it's just like, yay! The Marauder's Map! And George calls him an excellent chap. And it reminds me of that bit. Oh, I think it must be the third or fourth book when Percy is coming up to greet Harry and Fred and George take it over the top with the mm-hmm. handshakes the and calling him a wonderful person. It's like meeting the mayor. and Harry, said Fred, elbowing Percy out of the way and bowing deeply. Simply splendid to see you, old boy. Marvellous, said George, pushing Fred aside and seizing Harry's hand in turn. Absolutely spiffing. <laughs> oh man still my favorite George has a plan he does what are you gonna do something crazy I'm in me too sound me up I love this plan he's been stealing things all over the place he has been he's got Hermione's rucksack Harry's invisibility cloak a time turner from the ruins of McGonagall's office and a ton ton toffee port key I'd love someone to write <laughs> an aside to this like having people noticing things go missing like where did I put that and I like Charlie. Charlie's just a bit of a grin, threatens to tug at the corner of his mouth, and he's, George, that's, well, it's brilliant. Brilliant! But, and George is like, don't say it. May I remind you that you did just recently swear. I swear that I'm up to no good. Mischief made. Not to be an antsy, and that includes moaning about how dangerous this is. If I wanted mom along, I'd have brought her. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And just as he did when he gave in and taught him how to tie their shoes and gave in on calling them fox ears instead of bunny ears, he says, you're right, I'm giving in on this point too. <laughs> you know, you win. And George apparates them to a clearing in a unknown forest, which is actually the Forbidden Forest, but it's somewhere else, you can tell. And George, is, he's going to have Charlie put on the rucksack. And Charlie sort of wonders what George wants him to do. And really, he doesn't have to do any magic. He just has to carry everything. Yep, he's the pack mule. Mm -hmm. A towel-wearing, black belt-owning pack mule superhero. Well, he is the dragon tamer. He's probably the one that's most physically fit. Well, and Mm -hmm. actually, that's what he says. You do realize I'm the only one in the family who didn't inherit brains, so my athletic skills have to count for something. (laughs) So he knows that as well. Mm Mm-hmm. And George says he does have brains. He just had enough brains not to be caught being a prefect or head boy. And he says, well, actually, I was a prefect. Oh, are you a prefect, said one of the twins with an air of great surprise. You should have said something. We had no idea. And George's like, "Ah, well, we try and forget that, you know. (laughs) Prefect, he said, staring incredulously. No way, said George in a hushed voice. There's been a mistake. <laughs> There's something about us short Weasleys. Light on the academics, but possessed of a certain brilliance, not to mention shocking levels of charm. And Charlie says, don't forget good looks. Yeah. 
the Wizard. Wizard Trademark Rolling Good Magic Model is available in two types, short and tall. The latter is predisposed to engage in academic pursuits, excel at frustrating parental models, and expertly execute forms of teenage rebellion. The short model is dashing, spunky, and risk-friendly while being fun-sized. If you buy two short wizards today, you will get one free and a discount on the elusive female model. Send your owl order in today because this exclusive chance won't last. I like their interactions in this. They do very well between yeah. the three of them. We have a reoccurring thing that we like as peon, we like as hosts, and that we enjoy finding fix that have good banter in them. And yeah. This is one of them. When it's banter, mm-hmm. it's always good. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm just enjoying imagining short weasleys. <laughs> the short weasleys club. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm short, so it's, you know, yeah. Right on. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. It depends on which fic you read, but sometimes Ginny is also counted as a short weasley. Has the short and broad sort of thing. Some of them, they give her the tall and skinny instead. We never really get a description think, as much I of her. I think Ginny is short because if she was tall and skinny, then she'd be taller than Harry. And that wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Right. So she has to be short. And sneakers are usually smaller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most things I read, she's sort of in the middle because she's petite, but she's also slim. They don't give her the wider build of the rest of them as well. But I have read a few where uh, she's the tall one and is taller than Hermione and taller than everybody except Ron or something like that. Right. Scott? Did we lose you? We'll just finish this. Oh, there you are. Oh! (sighs) Oh. Talk about the banter. I like this line. Charlie wants to know what they're supposed to do once they get there and people are, you know, shooting at them and stuff. And George says, Ah, you see, George smiles charmingly and Charlie saw at once the exact brand of charm that made his brother an irresistible salesman. That's why the very earliest wizards invented these. With a small flourish, he held up and displayed his wand. You see, wizards, that's you and me, use these cute little stick thingies to perform this thing called magic. Which allows you, you know, to transfigure things and to modify people's memories. (laughs) Charlie's like, is that right? And it's exactly what is it that you want me to do with my little stick thingy? (laughs) George says, well, you're not exactly my type, but don't sell yourself short. (laughs) That's cute. I feel like so many good fics that I've read have the sarcastically stupid explanation of what a wand does. Right. (laughs) That's fun. It is. But yes, he won't have to do any magic, but he'll have to carry everything. And once they get there, he has to keep hold of Fred. Because yes. he'll be in the middle of a battle and probably wanting to do something about that. And he's like, ah, Fred Wrangling. You do realize I have something like Black Belt in this particular art. Years of practice, you know. <laughs> Which is I, I can only imagine Wrangling both twins. Because, you know, Bill was off being old and Percy was off. His nose stuck in a book. So Charlie clearly got stuck with the job mm-hmm. of Wrangling both twins at once. But yeah, because most likely Bill told Charlie to do it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Molly and Percy would just told but, Mom, you know, Mom, Charlie's making me do something, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so off they go. 
they take the port key and they materialize in the castle and it's dark and eerie and it's a mess and they have to go and find where Fred is. But they've got and the map so they can do it. How'd they now get they the map? They stole, oh, oh, they don't have the map. I'm sorry. For I was like, what? <laughs> for some reason, I, I thought they stole just, the map, too. Okay, never They mind. know where it is because there was the big chunk of rubble that sort of fell on everything. Mm-hmm. So they go find that, and then they take the trip through time. And there's Percy telling his joke that was such a shocking Hello, thing. Hello, Minister. Did I mention I'm resigning? Yep. Percy's joking. <gasps> <laughs> Someone laughs, George. No, Fred. It was Fred that said that. Mm-hmm. And George summons Fred. Well, the summoning charm can be put to good use When you can't find something that you want or that you need But there's only one thing that I want in this world And that's so easily guy says, Asio Fred. This always makes me wince because... You know, if you read a lot of Sirius coming back from the dead fix, mm-hmm. they often go back to when Sirius gets knocked behind the veil and osseo him. And I'm like, can you osseo a body? Like, really? Wouldn't that take a lot of yeah. magic? I don't know. That would be kind of tough. It took a ton of effort for Harry to... Ah! <laughs> I just got clawed by my cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was wondering what that was. There you go. We've got to have the animals in the podcast. <laughs> what was I saying? It took a lot of effort for somebody, oh, Harry, to, Harry, to for, summon for Harry to, to summon his broom. Mm-hmm. Like the well, that's a big far distance. Yeah, but still, still he tries to Akio. That's how I say it. Hagrid, and you got to think that it slows him down a little bit. I mean, can you just imagine Hagrid flying back at him after he did it as a <laughs> volunteer there? That would be a very bad thing. Knock himself off the broom. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of halfway see it as he slowed Hagrid down a little bit, and that's how he lived through the fall. So, you know, you might be able to do it. I, I don't I think don't you can Osseo people. At any rate, that's what he does in this one. Mm-hmm. And he immediately gets whacked all over himself with Fred, naturally enough. And Charlie has to tackle him. Yeah. And he's yelling, it's me, Fred, it's me! And Fred's trying to get out of his hands. and Because mm-hmm. he thinks he's been captured by Death Eaters or something. Right. And then Percy, then, Ron, and Harry spot them. Right. Mm-hmm. And at first and they think that George is Fred, but Harry realizes the ear is wrong. Yeah, and George is trying to shoot memory charms at him, and he's got most of them, but Hermione gets a Protego up, and he's trying to get it through there, and it's quite mm-hmm. a They a think he must be under on. the Imperious groups. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's quite a thing, and Charlie finally yells at them, and of course he's under the invisibility cloak, so now he's a floating head. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to help. But. I can only imagine being in Death Eater and witnessing this. Like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But George distracts them with one of their decoy detonators and manages to get to all of them. And they transfigure a Death Eater body into Fred so that he'll still be there when they all sort of clear from the memory charm. And then they grab the other port key and they're back to the clearing in the woods. And Fred is mad. He doesn't know what's going on. He wants to know what the bloody hell they're playing at as he kicks away and tumbles into a tree and stuff. And they just kind of tell him to stop. And then they hug him. And George starts crying. It's the first time he's cried since it happened. And Fred doesn't have any idea why. 
because he doesn't know what's happened. Mm-hmm. He's lost a week. Yeah. Yeah. That comes up more later, but yeah, mm-hmm. he doesn't know what's going on. And Charlie just tells him they'll explain later. Everything's fine, but just let him go for the moment. And then Charlie finds himself bawling all over Fred too. So, because mm-hmm. neither of them have cried for a week. And yeah, yeah. I like the bit where uh, Charlie says, I knew there was a reason I was brought along. I knew it was a rescue mission, but I didn't realize I'd have to save you from George. <laughs> <laughs> George is straggling him the whole time. Yeah, he's turning blue. Yeah, and George says, you know, and I love this. He's planned this all out just to the very smallest detail, and he gets him back, but he hasn't planned what to do with him, really, after he gets him back. He's got a tent, Mm -hmm. and he's got food and stuff like that, but they haven't quite figured out what they're going to do at this point. So they Mm kind of just hang out at the fire, which I love. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and they end up spending the whole week there rather than using the time turner again at all. Mm -hmm. They just camp there for a week. Yeah. I love that George turns into Molly. <laughs> he does. Just like, you need to be clean. Yeah. Whereas so many times they were just like, whatever, to their mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They've got an excellent breakfast and new clothes and his face scrubbed and everything. And they get their bacon and tomatoes and eggs. And, and they have to explain good. everything without once using the words dead and Fred in the same sentence. Right. Because they still can't bring themselves to say it, even though it's no longer true. So he's been refretted. Yes. That's how they say it. He's been entirely fretted once more. <laughs> Brought back yeah. from the land of non-fred to live most fredily for the rest of his long and excellent days. Yep. And so they keep interrupting him whenever he's going to say he was dead. Mm-hmm. He can't use the word dead. He can't use the word funeral. And he can't use the word casket. They decide as they go along. Those are all <laughs> taboo words. Mm-hmm. And they have a toast to short Weasleys. Yes. Which is fun. Mm-hmm. Short Weasleys. They let Charlie know about the Short Weasley Club. Yeah. Because I don't think he knew about it before. No. They're like, oh, didn't we tell you about that? <laughs> <laughs> so they decide, okay, we've got Fred, and they can't show up at the borough until after they've already left, because that would just be even weirder than they are at the moment. Mm-hmm. Can you Fred imagine four decides, twins at once? Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> oh, <dear>. Well, three. <laughs> <laughs> that would be yeah. so much fun. Twin and a half. Yeah. Yes. Fred has a great idea. What he's going to do is go lie in the casket and then leap out and yell surprise in the middle of the funeral. <laughs> oh, my God. But they uh, <laughs> convince him that's not the best of ideas. Yeah, that, that would not be a good thing. I'm fuzzy on the whole good, bad thing. What do you mean, bad? Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Where have you Beans, beds empty, no note, car gone. This course of action would probably end up with him being defredded again by way of a severe beating from the entire Weasley clan. <laughs> no, we don't want to do that again. Right, that's bad. And Fred brings up the fact that they have this entire plan for how to get this far, and then they didn't plan anything for the rest of it. For my re-entry? Fred <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> took them a whole week just to, like, breathe out almost about the war. Hmm. And just, like, everything's going to be okay. Fred's alive now and kind of process everything. I don't think they really had that in mind until it's like, okay, we have to deal with this now. Yeah. I don't think he wanted to make the plan in case it didn't work because that would have just added insult to injury. And also, he hasn't really had an entire week. He made the plan in about three days. In the first four, he wasn't doing anything. Well, they've been camping for a week. Yeah. At this point, they've been camping camping. for the same week again. 
<laughs> yes. We were camping. Our search could entail months of depressing camping, breaking into Gringotts, and drinking boatloads of polyjuice. I'm not going to do that. I liked a little bit earlier, by the way, that we sort of skipped over when George was explaining the plan to Charlie. He says, it's like a reboot, and you'll just have to trust me because I don't have time to explain the muckle metaphor to you at this point. But that's exactly what it is. It's true. And mm-hmm. that's kind of where the refreading came from, I think. Yes. And so they have to plan the re-entry, and they decide, yeah, they're just going to camp there for the week and really just get themselves straightened out so they have that when they're showing up at the burrow again with all the rest of them because the tension was so high at that point anyway. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm laughing at Kelly, who is uh, resurfaced again, and she just said, Sue, and I said yes, and she said, I do want to do things to Umbridge fumes. Apparently she's reading the sequel. Yes, that'll be coming up soon. (laughs) The descriptions in here are wonderful. This one, they've gone to bed and... Fred was laying with his eyes open, watching the tent ceiling. Still asleep, George lay curled into his side, his back jammed against Fred's ribs, his head on the pillow, pillowed on a lump of quilt where he was drooling steadily as he breathed softly in and out through his mouth. I liked that. The imagery in this mm-hmm. fic, it's just so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Charlie asks Fred how he slept, and he says, well, as well as I can with his holiness shoved up my side. Yeah. <laughs> you need me to haul him off you? Nah, I don't mind. I could think of people I'd rather wake up if I'd hermetically sealed to my ribcage. Beautiful women, specifically, mind you. But all in all, it could be worse. (laughs) So Charlie gets up and goes out to make some breakfast. and He has to keep making the food. He's now the president of the SWC. He's he's the oldest and the biggest. And he can cook. And he can cook. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. They start talking about George because he's still asleep. And Charlie tells Fred that he didn't cry at all. He didn't actually say anything until yesterday. Not a word. And they kind of get this awkward silence for a few minutes. And Charlie just wants to grin stupidly because he's got Fred there again. And it's just so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they sort of explain some of how it was for them. And Charlie mentions that he felt like it should have been him instead of Fred. Because then at least the twins would still have had each other. Mm-hmm. And Fred grabs him and Charlie just sobs. It's just so, so hard. So they camp for this week, as Kat already said. And they just sort of straighten themselves out and tell stories to each other about the various Weasley things. And then they collect everything and they decide they're going to go back. They have everything, except the skillet's probably not in fit state anymore, but they have it. Yeah, Mom's not going to be real happy with that, but, you know, she probably won't care. I I don't think she'll notice for, like, the next week. (laughs) Charlie figures maybe he should keep the skillets, because then he can block the thrown objects and things, which he's convinced he's going to get. (laughs) I I think thrown people is more accurate. Yeah, well. People slumping him. (laughs) (laughs) So they 
Maybe they are Ravenclaws. They're doing the tackle pounce. <laughs> tackle hoggle pounces? Yep. They decide that they're going to just simply show up on the morning of the sad Fred party. Which you can't yes, say funeral. This is the euphemism for funeral. <laughs> <laughs> so they operate and start walking up the lane. And halfway there, the door opens and it's Bill. And he's just standing there. And, and then they all come out and they're just all staring at them. It's Francis. <laughs> Holds his arms out. Are says, you crying or are you giggling? <laughs> and Molly is the first human projectile. Yes. And attaches herself to Fred's neck and knocks him down. And, uh, Fred, Fred. And he's like, Ma, get off me. But <laughs> <laughs> he can't say anything because everyone is yelling and trampling and they're just, they're all knocked to the ground and wept upon and, you know. Yeah. Squee. <laughs> Squee. <laughs> Words like, how? And is it really you? And Fred ragged through the air in such a wild and jumbled mess that it was impossible to answer anyone right away. And there was nothing for it but to subject themselves to being mauled. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just funny. It's then pretty much everybody calms down and starts getting themselves straight out. And then Molly's like, oh, the food. And you hear the three of them go, Mom, no, stop. You're not allowed to say funeral. It's That's on the, the list of forbidden words. Yeah. List? What list? We'll explain later, but you can't say that word. Or the D word. So what are we going to do? All these people are going to show up in just a few minutes. <laughs> was like, easy. We just started into a surprise party. <laughs> and it's exactly yep. what they do. And he just mm-hmm. gets shrieked at and sobbed on and stuff. But Charlie can't feel too sorry for him because it serves him right for putting them all in this state in the first place. And getting himself defriended. Mm-hmm. And they get out all the lights and things that are left over from Bill and Fleur's wedding. And they have all the hangings. They turn magenta just because. And they just have this wonderful party. And they don't tell anybody what exactly happened. They just Mm kind of keep it quiet. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. they, they kind of allude to the fact that he wasn't the one that was killed and that he just kind of been lost in the medical system. Yeah, He had a blow to the head and so he hadn't come home right away and maybe hadn't looked like himself. I don't know if they say that specifically, but they do say that someone else's body was mistaken for his. Mm -hmm. A bit far-fetched, but hmm, there it was. I do have to quote the fic one more time just because if you look at the fan art that will be linked in the show notes, this just fits into what the seahorse paints in her art. Sitting close, his arm still around George's shoulder, Charlie watched as Percy led some kind of conga line, his hips gyrating wildly and without a single hint of gracefulness. He really was a horrible dancer, but it didn't stop a hundred or so people in line behind him, hips wiggling and kicking out in equal fever. Sometime during the day, Fred had acquired a set of magenta robes, a grilling fork that had been transfigured into a scepter, and a truly revolting crown that someone had placed upon his head in a sort of hilarious refretting ceremony, over which George had presided as saint and pope. Now with his royal robe whirling, his scepter flying to the beat of music, Fred took his place at the head of the line, where he led the dance as the drum major leads a marching band. Yeah, it was a fairly mortifying sight, and it was wonderful. Actually, the art that Kat's referring to is by an artist on DeviantArt called Olaf Pryol. She has a lot of really good Fred and George art. So once you've gone through all of Star Horse's art, go back and look at hers. It's amazing. Anyway, the art that Kat's talking about is called Fox Ears. The fun are all. 
And that's the art that got me linked to the story, which then got me linked to the Star Horses art. And all of this led me to recommending this to our current hosts. And now we're doing it. Scarlet out. <laughs> yep. Actually, I think Heather linked that particular picture as a caption picture a little while back. She did. But we will link it again because it works. Mm-hmm. It does. Let and I were talking earlier about this particular portion of the scene. And for some reason, I I was picturing the safety dance going on in the background. I don't actually know what that is. We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Because your friends don't dance. And if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. I say, well, we can dance. We can dance. Everybody's out of control. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, it's just popped in my head. I was picturing Elaine Bennis dance from Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, who's dancing? Come on, who's dancing? You want me to, you want me to get it started? I'll get it Kind of thing almost. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that is either, but there you go. Yeah. I ended up thinking of Angel and Wesley dancing at Cordelia's flat when she held a party. Yeah. I can just see Percy being Wesley in that. And right at the end, Charlie brings up the fox ears again. He says, you know, I taught you and Fred to tie your shoes on these steps. And Fred remembers and Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says. Yeah, it was fox ears. The fox ears. And that's the end. This was really well done. It feels quite realistic. I was never popped out by anything in particular. And she writes them well. She must have a large personal family or extended family or a group of friends or something because she writes the Weasleys very well. And the whole thing has all sorts of wonderful description and metaphor and things like that. We didn't read half the great passages out, so you will have to read this story yourself if you haven't already. All sorts of emotional high points and moments in everywhere. I did want to say I had a very violent reaction when I read the seventh book for the first time. I threw the book. Don't throw that book at me. Because I was so upset. I mourned Fred a lot. I was having a bad day last week. A pretty good friend of mine passed away, and I had just learned about it very suddenly. And I knew I wasn't going to get to the funeral because it was going to be on a day that I was working. And Sue linked me this, and it just made me feel better. So thank you, Sue. I'm glad you liked it. Mm-hmm. Anyone else have final thoughts on the story as a whole? Or? It was a really fun story. Like we said, it's the banter that really makes this. But I like the whole idea that they could have actually pulled this off. Like Scott said, nothing really threw me out. It's kind of nice to be able to have that to say, wow, you know, this really could have happened. We could have had Fred refretted. Fred was refretted. Yes, Fred was refretted. Yes, this is Kat's personal canon. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, it is. He's living in my closet. Don't tell anybody. Okay. With Carmen Sandiego? Dear. No, okay. no, not this like Carmen Sandiego. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? That's all right. Severus is <laughs> living with me, too. Oh, dear. Severus and Mike. 
Okay. Yeah, Mike will live with me. <laughs> Mike turns into Severus. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, dear. <laughs> Severus makes of an tentacular. <laughs> as long as I can borrow him for my show, I'm good. Yeah. So? Should we say goodnight? Yeah. Yes. I need to go study. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so come back next week, and we will cover at least the first part of The Worthy King, which is the sequel to this, mm-hmm. is another giant one-shot. It's even longer than this one, so it may get two episodes. We'll see how far we get. Right. But you will definitely want to come back for that, and like Sue said, you will probably call Umbridge nasty names. Umbridge is Umbridge, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then that's nothing new, so. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Don't we always call her nasty names? Oh, but you call her even more. Oh, no. <laughs> you call her this lots is, of very um, nasty names. Umbridge is even higher on my list now. Like, I, I, I'm not even, like, yeah. Every three seconds, you're just like, oh, she's a... <laughs> I started well, swearing pretty violently. Yeah, and don't do what Scott oh did, which was start it fairly late in the evening, because I think he was up almost all night reading it, because he couldn't put it down. So. It okay. is a long oh, I won't do story. That. But the end Apparently so. is so cool. Yes, you will enjoy it, and I hope you enjoyed this one. And I guess that is it for our podcast this week. So, good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, y'all. Buenas noches. Hey everyone, this is Sue, and I'm interrupting the end of the podcast to bring you some words from our author, the Star Horse. I sent her a sneak peek, and this is what she had to say. I had a blast listening to the podcast. You guys are great. I loved your insights into the story, and I definitely loved hearing everyone's reactions. You guys made some really interesting observations, so this was really fun to listen to. I also award you 10,000 cookies for including the no crying in baseball bit. That's one of my favorite lines in the history of cinema. Please feel free to post this with my blessings. I really appreciate that you gave me first listen. It wasn't necessary since you can obviously talk about whatever you like, but it's so very considerate of you, so thanks again. I can't wait to hear what you thought of Worthy King. Marcy, a.k.a. The Star Horse. P.S. The use of the nickname Char was an obscure nod to an incredible piece of fan fiction about Bill and Fleur. I will include the link to that in the show notes. She also said we might like to know that she was so charmed by the character of Charlie Weasley that she actually named her fluffy corgi dog after him. So there were a few words from the author of the story, and we might hear some more after she listens to Worthy King. Hope you enjoyed it. Good night, everybody. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.